Zechariah chapter 2, which is the third vision, vision number 3. In this vision, God assures the prophet and the people that he is with them, he will benefit them, he will be glorified through them, and then also he will punish the wicked, and all for his glory. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see how wide it is and how long it is. And behold, the angel who was speaking with me was going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him, and said to him, Run, speak to that young man, saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls, because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. For I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Ho there, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have dispersed you as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Ho Zion, escape, you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, After glory he has sent me against the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For behold, I will wave my hand over them so that they will be plunder for their slaves. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. Amen. We have verses 1 to 5 that go together, and then verses 6 to 13. In verses 1 to 5, we have the vision and a bit of an explanation of what God is saying in the vision. Verse 1, it's another, another time where he lifts up his head, as we saw in one eighteen, perhaps because he was thinking about the previous vision, and as he was Contemplating it, he put his head down, but then God gets his attention again. So he lifts up his eyes and sees this vision. And in the vision, there is a man. This man in verse 1 is also called a young man in verse 4. The same man, most likely, from verse 1 and 4. Because the one in verse 1 is with a measuring line in his hand. He's going to measure the city. And in verse 4, that one is told, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. So the same man, the man in verse 1 is the young man in verse 4. Well, what is this man or young man doing? He's measuring the city. It says in verse 2, So I said, where are you going? The prophet is curious. And he, the young man, says to me, the prophet, the one measuring the surveyor of the city and the prophet are in dialogue right here in verse 2. 
So, and he, the surveyor, said to me, the prophet, to measure Jerusalem to see how wide it is and how long it is. This young man declares that he's going on a mission to measure Jerusalem. Actually, even in verse 16, chapter 1, verse 16, to measure Jerusalem is what God had announced, 116. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I will return to Jerusalem with compassion. My house will be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. 116 coincides with 2 verses 1 to 5. In that, we have a young man measuring the city. In this vision, why is he measuring the city? Likely to see about building a wall, a wall all around it. The reason we say that it is likely that the young man wants to build a wall or walls all around it is in verses 4 and 5 because God's answer to the young man is Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls. And in verse 5, that the Lord will be a wall of fire around her. So he, the young man, is thinking of a literal wall, but God says, no, I'm going to be a spiritual wall. God himself will be a spiritual wall. And this city is going to be so populous, it's not going to have any walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. Not a literal, but a spiritual wall. By the time we reach verses 4 and 5, this contrast or contradiction, first a contradiction, but a contrast, the young man is intending to build physical walls, but God says, listen, I'm going to bless you so much that you're going to have a multitude of men and cattle within it and your city will not have walls. In a sense, all cities could and should have walls. It doesn't matter about the population. If the inhabitants of the city wanted a wall, if the mayors and the governors of cities wanted a wall, they could have a wall. But God's saying, no, there's not going to be any walls because I'm going to bless you so much. That's why. Now, verse 3, it says, And behold, the angel who was speaking with me was going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him and said to him. The angel who was speaking with me. This is our familiar interpretive angel, interpreting angel. We first met him in verses, verse, chapter 1, verse 9. Chapter 1, verse 9, 1, 13 and 14, 1, 19, and now here 2, verse 3. The angel who assists him to interpret. Also, though, another angel was coming out to meet him and said to him, This other angel, another angel, who is this angel? If we keep listening or, or keep reading, He's speaking, and, and then it says in verse 4, and said to him, the other angel said to him, to the young man, run, speak to that young man, saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. 
So the interpretive angel is told by this other angel to run, to go to the young man and tell the young man, run, speak to that young man, or he's told to run and speak to that young man. I gather from this that this other angel of verse 3, the likely person is the angel of the Lord in 111. In 111, here simply called another angel. But we saw also chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. The angel of the Lord is there in 3, verse 1. And then in 3, 2, it says, And the Lord said to Satan, meaning the angel of the Lord said to Satan. The angel of the Lord and the Lord are the same in Zechariah. Also, another reason uh, for this, we'll speak a little bit more of it later. In 2, verse 9, 2, 9, and 2, 11, the New American Standard Bible capitalizes the me of both of these verses. In chapter 2, verse 9, the last word, me, is capitalized. And in 2, 11, almost at the end, sent me to you, it is capitalized. They believe that the speaker, the main speaker here in this section, is the Lord or the angel of the Lord, who is deity, divine. That's why they have capitalized me in verses 9 and 11. So keeping that in mind, it's likely that this other angel in verse 3 is the angel of the Lord. Okay, so verse 4, Run, speak to that young man, saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls. In a sense, putting a halt to his task of measuring, surveying the city. It's going to be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. Without walls because of the many men and cattle within it. Remember to take all of this in a spiritual sense, not physical sense. If it were in a physical sense, then would we not expect that this was fulfilled in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah? Because Nehemiah's main task was to build the wall, which he accomplished in chapter 6, Nehemiah 6. Ezra's main task was to build the temple, or to lay the foundation of the temple, and then to build the temple. They were building those structures, no doubt about it. But he built a wall, or Nehemiah built walls all, the, all around the city, correct? But God's speaking of a time that is without walls, which means he's not meaning it in the literal way. He's meaning it in a spiritual way. And if he's meaning it in a spiritual way, it means what? It has reference to the abundance of people that God saves. The many numerous people that God saves. And he produces an abundance there. He produces an abundance that is uncountable, innumerable. We 
can turn to a few examples. In, first in Isaiah. Isaiah 49, Isaiah 49, 20. Isaiah 49, 20. This oracle is also addressed to Zion, the people of God, the true people of God. We see that beginning at verse 14. But by the time we get to verse 20, he says this, The children of whom you were bereaved will yet say in your ears, The place is too cramped for me. Make room for me that I may live here. The children, the children of the people, meaning the spiritual children, are going to say, this place is too cramped for me. That's how many people there will be. Now, do these children include Gentiles? Look at 49, 6, Isaiah 49, 6. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth, which is cited by the apostle in Acts 13.47. Acts 13.47, he quotes this verse In Isaiah, it is said to Christ, but it is fulfilled by the body of Christ. Because to say it to Christ is also to say it to the body of Christ, who is supposed to obey him. Isaiah 49, 6, cross-referenced with Acts 13, 47. And if the gospel extends beyond literal, physical Israel... Because he says to Christ, the Father says to Christ, it's too small, it's too light, it's too insignificant of a thing that I would just only merely save people within the land of Israel, in the nation of Israel. I will also make you, Christ, a light of the nations. Many more. And so if the gospel does spread that far, then it's going to be... Numerous people saved. All right, another one will be Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, 1 to 3. 54, 1 to 3. Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations, and they will resettle the desolate cities. The comparison in verse 1 is likely a comparison that's comparing Sarah with Hagar. Sarah was barren. Hagar, she bore children. She bore at least Ishmael, and then Ishmael had many descendants. So he's saying, yes, Hagar is married and Hagar has borne, 
But this barren wife who has borne no child, there's going to be innumerable descendants coming from her. And that means, that's meant in a spiritual sense, which includes nations, the nations of the world, verse 3, and their dwelling place is too small, is too cramped. That's why he's saying, enlarge the place, stretch out the curtains, lengthen your cords, strengthen your pegs. You need many, many tents to house all the people. This is the same as what Zechariah means in Zechariah 2.4. Without walls, no walls are necessary because the people are innumerable. And this fact should not surprise us because God told Abraham, plenty Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, that their descendants would be like the stars of heaven and the sand of the seashore. Genesis 15, 5, 22, 18, 26, 1 to 5. That these, these are clear predictions that that's how innumerable their descendants would be. Spiritual descendants. And that is verified because of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. 11, 11, and 12. Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore also, there was born of one man, and him as good as dead at that. As many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. There, Sarah's barrenness and then her conception and then the spiritual descendants of Abraham and Sarah. All there in these two verses, verses 11 and 12, Hebrews 11, 11 and 12. That's the same doctrine Zechariah is preaching. And how is this possible? Verse 5 says, For I, for I, F-O-R, a small word but not insignificant because remember when this word begins a clause or sentence, it most often means because. It expresses the reason or the cause. It's known as a causal conjunction. For I, because I. How is verse 4 possible? Because I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Because of God. He will be a wall of fire. A wall of fire. Does that remind us of anything? It reminds us of the Exodus, does it not? In the book of Exodus, God was a wall of fire. It's explained first concisely and then more elaborately and repetitively. First concisely, Exodus 13, 21. Exodus 13, 21. This is God's protection when they left Egypt. Exodus 13, 21 to 22. 
And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Pillar of fire. Okay, then why was this pillar of fire and pillar of cloud present? Chapter 14, Exodus 14, 14, 19 to 20, 14, 19. And the angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came, so it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. And there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. The Egyptians did not come near Israel because of this pillar or these pillars, because the pillars served as a protection. Uh, the longer version of this is in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 9, 9, 15. Numbers nine fifteen to 23. This is how much they were protected and dependent upon the pillars, pillars of cloud and fire. 9.15. Now, on the day that the tabernacle was erected, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and in the evening it was like the appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So it was continuously, the cloud would cover it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud was lifted from over the tent, afterward the sons of Israel would then set out, and in the place where the clouds settled down, there the sons of Israel would camp. At the command of the Lord, the sons of Israel would set out, and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud settled over the tabernacle, they remained camped. Even when the cloud lingered over the tabernacle for many days, the sons of Israel would keep the Lord's charge and not set out. If sometimes the cloud remained a few days over the tabernacle, according to the command of the Lord, they remained camped. Then, according to the command of the Lord, they set out. If sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning, when the cloud was lifted in the morning, they would move out. Or if it remained in the daytime and at night, whenever the cloud was lifted, they would set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a year that the cloud lingered over the tabernacle, Staying above it, the sons of Israel remained camped and did not set out. But when it was lifted, they did set out. At the command of the Lord they camped, and at the command of the Lord they set out. They kept the Lord's charge according to the command of the Lord through Moses. This is the kind of protection God is promising to provide His people. That's why they have no need to fear. And further, Zechariah 2, verse 5, he says, And I will be the glory in her midst. I will be the glory in her midst. Well, in this verse, twice he says, Will be a fire, a wall of fire, and I will be the glory. I will be, I will be. In Verse 10, he says, 
verse 10, chapter 2, 10. For behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst. And verse 11, then I will dwell in your midst. God's promising to be present. He's going to do what only he can do because he is present with us. Um, in Exodus 3.14, Moses wanted assurance and he wanted to be able to tell the people this very fact that God was with them when he charged Moses to deliver them. For example, Exodus 3 Exodus three fourteen, And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. This is the God who is with them and who will deliver them. For it says in verse 317, So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. And God's presence was further emphasized by the tabernacle Moses built. Chapter 25, Exodus 25, verse 8, 25, 8. And let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. The sanctuary or the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, was for the purpose of God dwelling among them, showing them that he was certainly in their midst. 29, Exodus 29, 45 to 46. 29:45. Further explaining the tabernacle, he says, 29:45, "And I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them." I am the Lord, their God. The God who delivers them is the God who also dwells among them. He also says that he is the glory in her midst, in the midst of the city. Remember, cities are often referred to in the feminine, she and her. We see this also, for example, in verse 10, O daughter of Zion, daughter of Zion. And so God is the glory in the midst of the people. He is the glory. We saw the passages about the glory of the Lord, uh, the pillar of cloud. Okay, let's go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. When the tabernacle was completed, there's glory 
in the tabernacle too. Chapter 40, verse 34. 40, 34. 34 to 38. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, both above and within. And throughout all their journeys, wherever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. God's glory inside. The glory of God's dwelling. The, the word, people refer to it as Shekinah glory. Um, she, the verb from which that word comes means to dwell. So the glory of God's dwelling place is that glory. That's what he's saying in Zechariah, that he is the glory in her midst, that wherever God is, there is glory, his glory. Revelation Revelation chapter 21. He also promises to be among us. Revelation 21, 3. 21, 3. He says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. 21, 22 to 23. 21, well, actually, let's just read 21, 22 to 27, all the way to the end. Revelation 21, 22. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine upon it. For the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. And in the daytime, for there shall be no night there, its gates shall never be closed. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The glory of God in the midst of His people. 2, verse 6, chapter 2, Zechariah 2, 6. Ho there, or literally... It says, ho, ho. Now, ho there or ho, ho in this case has reference to sympathy. It's not uh, reference to necessarily merely calling attention, but calling attention to the sympathy of the speaker. The sympathy of the speaker. Ho there or ho, ho. 
who is being addressed. Verse 7 tells us, Zion is. Ho Zion. Zion is being addressed. And Zion is being told what in verse 6? Flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have dispersed you as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. He says, flee from the land of the north. Though he says, flee from the land of the north, and the northern part was often the place of the thoroughfare into the land of Israel. That was the main area. If invaders came, they would come from the north. If they wanted to flee, if they wanted to travel, they would go to the north, meaning towards Damascus and Syria. That would be the way to flee. And that would be the way of invasion. The Assyrians and Babylonians would come from the north and move southward into the land of Israel. But here he's saying flee from the land of the, of the north. But he's not only saying from there as though the people of God are only dwelling there because he clarifies from the four winds, verse 6. Four winds. That means that they are scattered throughout the earth. Right? For I have dispersed you as the four winds of the heavens. God dispersed them. God scattered the people throughout the world. But now... He's saying, come back. He's saying, flee from the land of the north. I sent you out, but now I'm telling you, come back. Get away from those wicked people. First, let's look at uh, examples of the invaders and then examples of the gathered coming from the north. First, Jeremiah, all of these will be in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah 6, verse 22. Here we have the threat of invasion from the north. Jeremiah 6, 22. Thus says the Lord, Behold, a people is coming from the north land, and a great nation will be aroused from the remote parts of the earth. As we keep reading, we know he is talking about the enemy. Enemy coming to invade Judah. Chapter 10, verse 22. Jeremiah 10, 22. The sound of a report. Behold, it comes. A great commotion out of the land of the north to make the cities of Judah a desolation, a haunt of jackals. 10:22. From the land of the north, desolation comes. And then the opposite. 3.18, Jeremiah 3.18. In those days, the house of Judah will walk with the house of Israel. And they will come together from the land of the north... To the land that I gave your fathers as an inheritance. Now they're going to return out of the land of the north. They're going to flee out of it. Chapter 16, Jeremiah 16, 14 to 15. Jeremiah 16, 14. 
Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from all the countries where he had banished them. For I will restore them to their own land, which I gave to their fathers. 23, Jeremiah 23, 7 and 8. Jeremiah 23, 7 and 8. Let's start at 5, because 5 and 6 talk about Christ. 23.5, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they will no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led back the descendants of the household of Israel from the north land and from all the countries where I had driven them, then they will live on their own soil. We've seen in these passages of restoration in Jeremiah that God's been saying in those days or at that time, the days are coming, verse 5. Verse 7, the days are coming, Jeremiah 23, 5 and 7. You understand? And also in 23, 6, in his days. All of these are implying in the days of Christ, in the days of Messiah, in the days between his first and second comings. When the prophets speak like that, they're talking about the future. And therefore, that encompasses our time our period of history where, when this is fulfilled. Shall we confirm with one or a couple of references that we're not talking about Nehemiah's time? Remember, we already said that Nehemiah did build a wall, but God's saying here without walls in verse 4. And in Zechariah, he's saying there's going to be a multitude of men in the city. But in Nehemiah's time, there weren't a multitude of men. They had to force people by lot to live there in the city of Jerusalem. Look at chapter 7, Nehemiah 7, 7 verse 4. Nehemiah 7, 4. Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few and the houses were not built. Few people and houses were not built in the days of Nehemiah. And they were so sparse of people that look at chapter 11, they had to cast lots and people had to be willing to abide by it. Chapter 11, Nehemiah 11, 1 and 2. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, but the rest of the people cast Lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine tenths remained in the other cities. And the people blessed all the men 
who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. All right, now in Zechariah 2.6, we have another implication or another statement. He says, flee. Flee. Flee is something that you do in a hurry. Flee is something you do to rush out of the place, to rush out of danger, is it not? If we are to flee, is that, and that is confirmed also in verse 7. Ho Zion, escape, you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. Flee, get away from Babylon. Flee and get away from Babylon. All right, well, this echoes what the people did in the time of the Exodus. Let's see there first. In the time of the Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12, and verse 39, 1239, Exodus 1239. From 1229 to 39, they are leaving Egypt. But notice, why is it that the Passover festival was celebrated with unleavened bread? Why unleavened? 1239 tells us, And they baked the dough which they had brought out of Egypt into cakes of unleavened bread, for it had not become leavened, since they were driven out of Egypt and could not delay, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. It, they were driven out, they could not delay. Deuteronomy 16, verse 3. Deuteronomy 16, verse 3. You shall not eat leavened bread with it seven days. You shall eat with it unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste. In haste, in order that you may remember all the days of your life, the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. They came out of Egypt in haste, very quickly, because it was a rotten, stinking, filthy place because of its sins. Egypt is a symbol of sin. But Egypt is not the only one that's a symbol of sin. Babylon is also. Babylon. Let's turn to Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah 48, verse 20. Isaiah 48, verse 20. Go forth from Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans. Declare with the sound of joyful shouting, proclaim this, send it out to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed 
his servant Jacob. And they did not thirst. When he led them through the deserts, he made the water flow out of the rock for them. He split the rock, and the water gushed forth. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. Even flee from Babylon. Flee from Babylon. God has redeemed you, and he's going to provide for you. When you flee from Babylon, he's going to provide, just like he provided Israel in the wilderness after they departed Egypt. If we depart from Babylon, he'll provide also. Also, Jeremiah 51, Jeremiah 51, 6, Jeremiah 51, 6. We have uh, another reason, 51, 6. Flee from the midst of Babylon, and each of you save his life. Do not be destroyed in her punishment, for this is the Lord's time of vengeance. He is going to render recompense to her. Babylon is a place of evildoers. They are about to be punished by God. So the people of God must leave Babylon to avoid being punished by God. Get away from the evil people or else you'll be punished. This, of course, is uh, imagery. The Passover and Babylon are both imageries in the New Testament. We see that Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Zechariah interpret Egypt and Babylon in a spiritual way. Correct? Egypt and Babylon in a spiritual way. Well, look also at 2 Corinthians 6, 14. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 18. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Come out and have nothing to do with unbelievers. In Revelation 17 and 18, Revelation 17 and 18, there also the apostle speaks of Babylon. He speaks of Babylon and the need to get away from Babylon. In, in speaking of the punishment, it says, or first coming out and then the punishment. 18 verse 4. 18 4. 18 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you may not participate in her sins, and that you may not receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. 
Pay her back even as she has paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her, to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree, give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am not a widow, and will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day, her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. Come out of Babylon and even have nothing to do with sin, just like at the Passover. 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5. When the Corinthian church was unrepentant in reference to this unrepentant sinner, unrepentant, sexually immoral man, it says in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 to 8. 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. They were distinguished from the Egyptians by celebrating the Passover in this way, and leaven as a symbol of sin. So get, get rid of all sin. Don't be like the Egyptians who stayed in their sins and were punished. This is the sense in which we are told to flee. Flee from immorality. Flee from idolatry. Flee from every sin. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.